Hi there. I'm Laura Mark, and I'm the keeper of Walmer Yard. Walmer Yard is the home of the Baylight Foundation, which explores how analogue and traditional experiences of architecture stand in an increasingly digital future, a virtual and enhanced reality, where the half is replaced by the mobile phone. In this new series of podcasts, we will talk to those, often from outside the fields of architecture, who are using different means to explore a deeper, spatial understanding of the buildings which we inhabit. Our first guest is the sound artist Simon James. Simon has recorded soundtracks for radio dramas and worked with recording artists like DJ Format. For some of his most recent work, he uses special microphone techniques to explore the hidden sounds of buildings. So let's talk to Simon about his work. When did you first start to explore architecture and sound? Well, I think I should probably talk about exploring field recording or non-traditional music kind of instruments in my music, because that's really where it started. When I first started doing music when I was about, I suppose in my early 20s, and maybe a bit before that, the sampling craze was quite new. And I think everyone was quite excited about, oh, what, what can we sample? And... And I think also having limited gear meant that I didn't have a room full of synthesizers like like I'm lucky enough to have now. Um, and so I was always looking for sounds that I could just, you know, adapt or manipulate in some way. And and so I would normally turn to sound effects records or things like that and, you know, sample strange sounds and then turn them into musical instruments. And so that really, I suppose, was a beginning of thinking about sounds beyond music you know outside of that sort of traditional idea of what music is and then I think I'm trying to work out because there were two things that happened around the same time so I've always been interested in early electronic music so stuff from the 50s and 60s sort of the real pioneers that were using tape manipulation techniques and early synthesizers around that period sort of there was also a lot of really really cool world's fairs like expos and so I started to sort of notice things like Le Corbusier at Expo 58, and he did a pavilion there with Yanis um, Sinakis for, for Philips. And so it combined the two worlds of music and architecture. So he built this amazing structure and um, filled it with 400 speakers. And then Edgar Varese, the composer, created a piece of music that would play along with a multi-screen film I became really interested in, and I, I got a book by Le Corbusier. I just found it randomly. I think I found it in my Tesco at the, on the sort of you know the charity bookshelf, which I found a lot of books there that I think were just meant to be. You know, I just stumbled across it, and he talked specifically about how the similarities of architecture and music, like a lot of the language is the same, the the exploration of space and time that exists in both architecture and music, and so whilst I don't claim to be super knowledgeable about architecture there's just a sort of um, instinctive interest and excitement that I feel about the ideas of some of the shapes of buildings and structures that I see and I think my imagination automatically thinks about how that might sound that actually my first project that I suppose would well I would say combined music and architecture was for an organization called Musicity which is by a guy called Nick Luscombe, who's a presenter, he used to be a presenter on Radio 3. And that project invites musicians to choose a piece of architecture and create a piece of music inspired by that. 
I chose the Skylon structure that was on the South Bank as part of the Festival of Britain, which is no longer there, unfortunately. On one level, the piece of music I created explored the themes of the sort of excitement for the future, but also the fear of the future that are around at that time. So what, you know, the kind of the bomb, you know, nuclear weapons and things like that, but also, well, there's all these great, you know, labour saving devices and electronics that are starting to, to happen. I like to think it also reflects the shape of the structure. And so I guess in a way like a simplified um, graphic score. Let's hear some of that track. Here's In the Shadow of a Skylon.
So a lot of your work, you mentioned field recordings, and a lot of the work is based on that. For our audience that might not know what a field recording is, can you tell us a bit about how you do those and, and how they kind of then get translated into your sound pieces? Yeah, so field recordings, I think, I don't know if I'm going to get this definition accurate, but field recordings are recordings made out in the field as opposed to in the studio. So you go outside and make them. You can make field recordings inside as well, inside buildings, but they tend to be outside of a studio. Um, and so I would use a portable audio recorder and I've got sort of different levels of those, like bigger ones that have more channels and very simple handheld ones that just have two channels. And sometimes I'll use internal microphones that are built into those or um, often though I'll use external microphones and they can be stereo. So, you know, I will capture a soundscape, a wide sort of panoramic of a space using a stereo mic or I might choose to, uh, there might be a sound that I specifically want to zoom in on and I'll use a, just a mono mic that will capture that quite close up. If I'm thinking about recording some sounds, I will head to somewhere and listen for a while before recording, which is something I've learned to do because it's there's a, a feeling like, oh, I just want to record. I've, there's this great sound happening. So from listening to people like Chris Watson, the sort of quite well-known, probably one of the world's best-known sound recorders, I've just sort of learned from his knowledge and wisdom about um, just listening first and foremost before just pressing record because, you know, you need to consider, just like with photography or filming, What's the best angle? What's the best position to put your microphones in? And it's hard to find that if you just press record straight away because you end up just recording in one spot and thinking, okay, that, that'll do. And so, yeah, listening is first and foremost, and then finding a good place to record. Um, in the past, I tended to go out looking for sounds that I could chop up and use as kind of instruments. So I would sample them and, and manipulate them quite heavily. But more recently, I've been feeling much more inclined to just enjoy extended recordings of spaces and things that I find. So I might just go out now and record for an hour in a space, as I did in a, in a museum that I had to myself in Shanghai a couple of years ago. I just I was, happened to be in this space and it sounded really good. I just sat there for an hour and recorded. And I love it. It's one of my favourite recordings. I think it it had something to do with... The rest of that trip was really intense and I think I just found this quiet moment and was really enjoying it because, yeah, everything else had been so, so kind of loud and noisy and industrial. So, yeah, I, I really enjoy recording extended pieces. So I don't really always have a plan what I'm going to do with things. It depends if it's like a, a project that I'm specifically working on. Like when I came and recorded at Warmer Yard, you know, I'm looking for sounds to use in a kind of soundscape or a collage of some you know some description so i have a an idea of kind of a, a, a imaginary or sort of a, a mental shopping list of of a range of sounds that i'd like to collect but sometimes i just record and don't have any end you know idea of what i'm going to do with the recordings it's just nice to listen and capture sounds and and i should say that there's also a, a kind of parallel part of my career or work that that sort of connects to all of this. And that is that I've worked on radio drama pretty much since my mid twenties. So I also, that means that I'm used to creating imaginary spaces using sound. So, you know, for a story or, you know, and, and they could be quite straightforward or quite fantastical and strange and imaginary. 
but that means that I'd in the past I'd also be looking for sounds to add to my library that I might need to use for that kind of work. I never really thought of like creating different spaces for like radio dramas and how you actually have to create a kind of space. Yeah, because it's all in the imagination. So, you know, separately from the dialogue, my job is to create that whole space. I have to put everything in there <laughs> to make it sound like it's in a particular space or whatever's happening, you know, wherever the, the drama happens to be set. It took me a while to realise I really think that that work has had a massive impact on how I listen and how I use sounds. I'm not necessarily able to explain how that comes through yet, but it, it just feels obvious like it must have done. You know? And you've recently done a project which used like a lot of this field recording in the Hidden Sounds of Architecture with Jim Stevenson. Can you tell us a little bit about that project and what you did there? Well, I've known Jim for quite a while and I met up with him and just chatted and said, look, I'd love to do more work with architecture. What's going on? What are you up to? And I think it just must have been one of those really great moments where it was just perfect timing because Jim happened to have a commission to make films for the Sterling Awards and whilst there was no budget to involve a sound person I just saw it as a great opportunity to come and record the sounds of uh, the nominees. I think there were six nominees and I travelled to all of them apart from the Leeds sculpture, Yorkshire Sculpture Park because I was just I, I couldn't make that one. And so there's a really interesting range of buildings and from the cork house, which was a challenge really as a sound person because it was so quiet. The physical nature of cork meant that it, it really deadened everything. At the moment you walked into that building, it was so quiet, which was lovely on, on one level, but didn't, you know, didn't give much for me to work with. Um, although I did try and record the sound of cork squeaking. They had a test building just around the corner from the main one and I managed to squeeze my contact microphones. And I should say, for people that don't know what contact microphones are, traditional microphones pick up the sound vibrations that move through space and the air, whereas contact microphones pick up vibrations through physical objects. So by connecting those microphones to a physical object, you can hear things that the, the normal ear can't hear through through space. So anyway, I used these con contact microphones, squeezed them right in amongst these cork bricks. They didn't make any sound. And I was sort of hoping, oh, maybe because it's windy, I'll get some creaks and I'll get, you know, these really lovely sounds of the cork. But the only way I could get them to make a sound was by manipulating them. So I had to sort of almost play these cork bricks, squeeze them and f push them together. And I did get some sounds, but they weren't impressive enough that I wanted to use them. <laughs> Although I say that I did use them, but I used them so quietly in the final film that they were just a kind of subconscious, subliminal thing that no one probably noticed, which is something I enjoy doing actually. So there was the cork house that was very quiet. And then on the other side, the other end of the spectrum was London Bridge Station which is a cacophony of sounds from escalators, people's voices, ticket gates, trains whizzing by. And, you know, the amount of announcements that happen in that station that maybe passing through, you don't notice it. But when you're recording in there, they're just happening constantly. Sometimes they overlap. Sometimes you get a weird phase thing where one will start a millisecond after the other one and you, you get this strange echo of the same message, but from different places in the building. So there was that one, which was offered so much for me to record that the time we had there just wasn't enough. I could have spent days there recording. And so whilst the pri primary reason for my involvement was to help Jim with the sound for the main films, 
Once we'd finished doing all the filming and the recording, I realised that I had some really interesting sounds from London Bridge Station and the Macallan Distillery in Scotland, where I'd used contact microphones and electromagnetic microphones to pick up electronic sounds that, again, outside the range of human hearing. And we just discussed doing some kind of alternative versions that would focus on the sounds. And yeah, we agreed that we'd do the Macallan and London Bridge. So yeah, we stripped out the interviews from the original films and just I created a collage, a kind of soundscape using these unusual sounds, these hidden sounds that you can't normally hear around Jim's footage. So for London Bridge Station in particular, there were things like the escalators and using the contact microphones you can just pick up this really deep rumble of the mechanism of that. Yeah, it's like the kind of rumble from the centre of the earth or something. And and then a really lovely, surprising sound. I attached my contact microphones to the handrails of escalators. And the sound that was coming from them was so strange. It was like a kind of alien craft landing or taking off this strange, almost electronic-y kind of sound. And so, yeah, I was really blown away by that. And in fact, I do plan on doing a project that, once all this craziness is over, that just focuses on escalators. It's hard because recording escalators, you only get a certain amount of time because to use contact mics, you have to connect them and they have to be connected really securely. So I have to use masking tape to stick them so they really get a strong connection. So you connect them, you get on the escalator, you quickly connect them. Obviously, it's moving all this time. So you get 20, 30 seconds before you have to quickly undo the tape and get them off and grab them and jump off. And I nearly lost one of my microphones because I was just, oh, I've got to leave it to the last minute. I don't want to <laughs> rip them off. Um, so, yeah, it's a challenge, but it's a fun challenge. I think what for me seems really interesting is like uh, we go about our kind of day to day lives and, you know, you go into stations, you go up escalators and you never think of them as having like a particularly interesting sound or anything like that. But by doing this, you're kind of discovering those kind of sounds that we would normally not take any notice of. Yeah, it's, I love that. It's a sort of, it is a hidden sound world of, you know, that's, that we just passes us by. We just don't know it. It's there. You know, most people don't even know it's there. And why should they, you know, unless they're sort of weird sound nerds like me. Um, but yeah, I had a similar experience when I did some recording in, in China. I recorded in the electronic markets in Shenzhen and I used electromagnetic microphones. And this was like a, kind of seven-storey shopping mall of electronic components. And the people that work there go into work every day. They exist in this soundscape of sort of noise and constant hustle and bustle and packing tape where things are being shipped out. And But what they don't hear is that hidden sound world that's so vibrant and rich. And I made the point of giving people my headphones and saying, look, this is these are the sounds that these things are making that you can't hear. And yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I, I really enjoy that aspect of it. Let's hear one of those recordings you did of the Sterling Prize finalists. Here's a track from Simon's album, The Hidden Sounds of Architecture. This was recorded at Rogers Stack Harbour and Partners Macallan Distillery. And in this piece, we hear the sounds discovered by placing contact microphones on the stills and pipes.
And have you ever found any sounds that are like have really surprised you? I think the escalators are one of those sounds that was surprising to me. I just hadn't expected them to make that sound. And I think, yeah, I think when I first got the electromagnetic microphones, that was like a real, oh my God, as a sound designer or a sound artist, you know, when you just, my whole thing is, okay, what new sounds are there that I can find? So when you're given a new tool that allows you sort of access into this hidden, previously hidden world, it's, yeah, it's a moment of real excitement and, um, you know, what are the possibilities of this that I'm going to have to discover? I think quite an obvious thing that people that get into using non-traditional microphones record is wire fences and the cables that support telegraph poles. You know, you go up to on any hill, you'll see telegraph poles and they will have these wire cables that come down. And when the wind blows through those, they create a really, really, sometimes a really beautiful tone that just changes and shifts with the, as the wind blows on them. It's a bit cliched now, but I still love recording those. I will always, when I'm wandering around, when I'm on my bike rides at the moment, I've been noting down lots of telegraph poles that I need to capture. You know, I suppose it's a combination of the natural and man-made, which is quite nice. You've now kind of been recording buildings for quite a number of years. Do you get used to like knowing now what sound certain spaces will make? Or do you see a building and you go, oh, I'd really like to record that. It's going to make a great noise. Yeah, I try not to prejudge anything because it's quite hard. There's so many factors involved. I think, you know, you can walk into a space and you can get an idea of its acoustic properties by clapping or talking loudly and you will hear the reflections. And so, yeah, I suppose, yes, I, I do have a better idea of what a space will sound like, but I'm I'm open to exploring every space as a new new space, I think. And you, you made a recording of Walmart Yard. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that and your experience of kind of being in the spaces here? When I worked with Jim on the Hidden Architecture Project, he said, you have to go to Warmer Yard. I need to introduce you to Laura and I think you're going to get on and I think, you know, you're going to like Warmer Yard. And so the moment I saw it, I, I was like, OK, I need to go there and do some recording because it looks so interesting and I'm sure there's going to be some good sounds there. And yeah, you, you had the series of events on The Lesser Senses and invited me to, to be a part of that, which I was really excited to be a part of. And I think I spent two sessions recording yeah it was really interesting on so many levels because first of all anyone that's been to warmer yard knows it's unusual and it takes a while to get your head around what that means if you know what i mean it's like on a personal level i found it quite uncomfortable at first you know it took me a while to get used to it because you know there were four houses there were lots of moments where you're not quite sure where you are because there's similarities in the houses and there's the shadows there is beautiful light there but there's a lot of dark areas as well and so getting used to some of that stuff was really interesting and also as a, as an artist working out what am I going to do with this it's quite big actually you know there's a lot there there was almost too much in a way for me to kind of take in and I in the end I decided to focus on one house in particular and it was house two where I did most of the recordings, I realised quite quickly that there weren't going to be any natural sounds that I was going to have to activate most of the sounds that I was going to capture. 
because there's no wind, there's no, there's just nothing happening. There's no movement. I guess actually I wish that it had been really windy one day because that would have led to some interesting recordings. So yeah, I, I realised that I was going to have to do a lot of activating and playing you know, like treating it a bit like an instrument. And so I bought my cello bow and I bought lots of percussion beaters and spent quite a lot of time in the basement of House 2 bowing light fixtures and bowing handrails to try and get them to resonate and, and ring. And, and also I was hitting a lot of things. But there's that huge metal piece that comes down on the staircase. Oh, it was so resonant and so deep. You know, if I hit that, you know, I managed to get sounds that I would say, you know, they were like, I think if you just listen to them out of the context, you would just think, oh, it's it's an orchestra percussion. And I had my sort of reservations about that because, you know, I, I do have this internal <laughs> argument going on about I just want to capture the raw sounds and not try and turn it into an instrument. I don't, I don't always have to force this musical template onto everything that I, I record. I'm definitely, you know, as I said earlier, moving away from that a bit. But I, I think I was slightly forced into that just by the nature of the sounds I could capture at Warmer Yard. And so, yeah, I recorded lots of percussive sounds, lots of the, the bowed, um, those light fixtures that really squeak, and I bowed those because they were really, really nice bowed. There's the bits at the top of some of the staircases that have the normal kind of thinner handrails. And I played those with beaters. And I bought it all home and started manipulating it and playing with it. It was really enjoyable. I was sort of scared that what I'd made was quite dark and didn't know how you'd respond to that. But I think it reflected my experience of being in the space. And there was a performance aspect because I was playing the building like an instrument that I hope comes across i was really pleased with it i was just like really it was i'm sure you know you could make so many different sound pieces in warmer yard and if if i was asked to do it again i've no doubt i'd approach it differently and it would you know something else would happen and that was what i came up with in that moment and it i think it reflected my time at the at this in the space yeah so for me what i felt with the warmer yard piece was that many people come to warmer yard and the the main kind of sound experience people have is always the stairs because they're so resonant and we've had people do whole sound pieces just in those stairs cases but for me the one you did didn't really focus on the stair it kind of moved away from that and looked at you know the creaking of the door and things like that that sound of the door was um was the first sound i heard and it was before i'd started recording i think i'd not even dropped my bags down i think i went into a bedroom and i just heard that scraping sound of the door the bottom of the door against the floor i loved it you know i mean for some people they'd be like that's just a noise but it was really rich and lovely and kind of crackly and scrapey and I love that. And it's always a sort of a bit of a test for me. And I'm always trying to push this about how long you can experience a sound like that. And so the piece opens with that sound actually and and it lasts quite a long time and I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed just sort of pushing that a little bit just to see how long it, it could last. I guess it's like it's on a level of like pushing something that can make people feel quite uneasy. How long do you push that for and how long do you play with that kind of uneasiness until you've reached a point where you can't anymore? Yeah, we've been talking um, about doing an album with my friend Max DeWardner at Warmer Yard and when he came to visit the space, the first thing he said is, this is the best set ever for a horror film. <laughs> and I think there is that uneasiness about the space that 
I suppose, yeah, it did come through in my in my piece because you know I was there on my own, and which was lovely because it's how you know it's very hard to record when you've got other people around. But being anywhere new when you're um, on your own is unusual. You know, you don't know it; it's not familiar. And a space like Warmer Yard just adds, just ups the kind of. <laughs> but I welcome that. You know, I, I I don't want to go and record in a leisure centre. Although I I've found some good sounds in leisure centres before. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like it's it's like an inspiring space. You just walk into Warmer Yard and it is inspiring and. I think any creative that would walk into a space like that would find it really, really inspiring and would bring out interesting work. So you talked previously about kind of activating Walmart well, Yard and activating other buildings and avoiding hearing yourself in that space. How do you how do you avoid that? Have you just learned how to be very quiet and still? So, yeah, when you're recording, the microphones are very sensitive. So, you know, you're recording in a space that's quiet. You know, Warmer Yard is a quiet space. So any sound that you make is picked up. So when I'm using beaters on a railing or a piece of the building, the only sound I really want to pick up is the sound created when that beater hits that object. What I don't want to hear is my feet shuffling around or even my breathing. And some people might say, actually, what are you talking about? That's you in the space. So why are you trying to purify that in some way and, and erase your, your, you know, your existence? <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I think it's just about being still and quiet. In radio drama, I've done live foley. So I've been in the space with the actors taking gloves off and carrying cups. And I have to be invisible sonically in that role. The only thing they want to record is me taking gloves off for a part of the the, you know, the the cast. They don't want to hear me. So I'm quite good, I think, at being still. It's not easy, though. You know, I, I would say that actually on a sort of personal, slightly deeper level for me, I'm quite an anxious person. I worry a lot. And that's that's been a difficult thing for me with field recording where you have to be really still and quiet. You have to be good at being by yourself and with yourself. And so I think that's taken some real work for me to do, but I've no doubt it's also helped with that as well. It's like, you know, there's a meditative kind of thing going on there. So yeah, stillness and just practicing that is is helpful. You must become like super zen. I think, yeah, you do. You definitely get into a, a kind of a headspace where you are, there's just a lightness about your movements and and presence around the recording. And if you're kind of taking yourself out of the recording and it's not about you, is there ever a need to kind of create a sense of performance in those recordings? And how do you do that? That's a very good question. And it depends on what tool I'm using. So for in Warmer Yard, when I was playing some of the materials, it's part of the, it, yeah, it is part of that act of trying to be still physically enough but being able to play things so I was playing using multiple beaters and playing rhythms and things on objects but at the same time I was just making sure the rest of my body was still and I wasn't shuffling around I wasn't sighing or, or you know or doing any of those other sounds that I didn't want to be want to be captured by the microphone so it's getting a balance right you know obviously if you listen close enough I've no doubt you might hear my arms moving or my clothing moving as I'm you know as I'm performing or, or recording I think if you try to aim for complete perfection in that, to completely wipe out any presence of you as the sound recordist is going to be very frustrating because you can't, you know, you can't completely erase yourself from that. Yeah, that's great. 
Thanks for joining us today, Simon. It's been really great to hear some of your thoughts on sound and architecture. So to play us out, let's hear that recording you did at Warmer Yard. Here's Friction in House 2.